guys. Thanks for checking out our show, Performance Anxiety, a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Now, I am fortunate enough to have Christian Dunn and Tim Fogarty, also known as L1011, on the podcast. They've been a band for 18 years, and in addition to finding out how they met and began playing, I also learned that Christian hears music in the strangest places, like hearing the theme to Land of the Lost in his dishwasher. There's a lot of joking, some at Brian Eno's expense, so I guess he's never coming on the podcast. I hear some touring disaster stories, including a time when Christian's back went out on stage, and how their new album, Tautology, grew from being an EP to a triple album. Check them out on all the streaming platforms, which they love, Bandcamp, their website, L1011.com, and follow us at Performance ANX. And if you enjoy the shows, feel free to check us out at Kofi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash performance anxiety. And you can get us a cup of coffee. There's absolutely no commitment or subscription necessary. So I hope you enjoy this episode with Christian and Tim of L1011 on performance anxiety. You can do one and I'll do one if you want. Uh, hey, this is Tim. Hey, this is Christian from L1011, and you're listening to the performance. I blew that. That's the one you'll use. That's okay. part of it. <laughs> hey, this is Christian from L1011, and you're listening to performance anxiety for some reason. This is Christian from L1011, and you're listening to performance anxiety. <laughs> oh, dude, that was a great radio voice. Thanks very much. <laughs> so, uh... I gotta wait for my big ice cube to melt a little bit. Uh, I was, what is that? I know. What's this below the ice cube? Um, it is Buffalo Trace White Dog. What's White Dog? <clears throat> All right. I'm glad you asked. I know Buffalo Trace. But... Uh, I love Buffalo Trace. So I did, it's hard to. Buffalo Trace is not hard to come by around here. And uh, this is. I'll read the back because it's kind of hard to describe here. William LaRue Weller was a distilling pioneer. He took a traditional bourbon recipe and substituted uh, wheat where rye was normally used. This created a soft, mellow spirit perfect for sipping. Before this whiskey ever made its way into the barrel for aging, it was drunk straight from the still. It was called White Dog. So this is like super hillbilly redneck whiskey is it clear i can't tell yeah it's clear, right? yeah, yeah that's what surprised me yeah so it's not it's not bourbon then I mean, right because it hasn't no yeah it hasn't aged yet. so it hasn't pulled in any what's oakiness it, what's it taste closest to uh it's it's like a a real it's like a sweet whiskey oh i'm gonna track it down it's interesting it's really and uh i couple let's see i don't say six to eight months ago i had a, a chef on from kansas city and uh you, in fact you can check this is a, it's a really cool episode uh chef selena teo she was oh, awesome. she's oh. Oh. i knew you could say that yeah she's awesome oh she's great yeah she's she's on the yeah. show and so i found this and i'm like hey uh what the hell is this she's like oh get it because i don't think they're doing it anymore oh. so yeah she yeah. had amazing collection like, at her place bunch of whiskey somewhere and then was like that's the batch i want and then they bottled it with yeah um i have two of the glasses what's what's her place called the belfry it was Bar- 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 uh, the belfry 
Belfry. Belfry, that's it. Yeah. yeah. I have a couple of those glasses too. Oh, she's yeah. awesome. Yeah. It's, she came on a, a second time and we did an entire show where we took music and we paired it. I sent her a Spotify playlist and uh, she paired all the music to a bourbon. Oh God, I gotta listen to that. I had no idea she did that. That's cool. Oh, she's she's the best. She she is. She's just awesome. She surprised us. We'll be playing, where, you know, Atlanta or something, and she just shows up. She's like, "Hey," and we're like, "Whoa, what are you doing here?" It's like, <laughs> "Well, I wanted to visit this restaurant and taste this whatever, yeah. and so I decided to come see you guys and do that." I'm like, okay, oh, that's awesome. I'm gonna let her know that that uh, you guys are on as soon as we're done because did I had yeah. no idea you guys knew yeah, each other. Wow. It's funny, what, right when you said this chef in Kansas City, she came to my head. I'm like, nah, there's yeah. no way. I'm like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because I had, a, you guys may know at this point now, a really cool band on called Vast Robot Armies. And John Agee from the band is one of the bartenders at the Belfry. Oh, okay. Small world. Yeah. So I, I love Kansas like that. I've, Kansas City is a small world, Kansas City. I've never been there. I'm dying to go. That's great. I keep hearing so many good things about it from so many people. Where do you live? Winchester, Virginia. No idea where that is. All right, so I am almost exactly okay. I'm almost exactly like uh, 75 miles west of DC. Oh, okay. Like in cool. a that's... literally a straight line. So that's your nearest big city. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we go to DC a bunch. We usually go see some Nats games. Enjoy the museums, all the free stuff cuz I can't afford pay anything in dc so yeah it's crazy there it is <laughs> but thank you guys so much for coming on man this is uh this is really cool i want to thank jack bates really for introducing yep. me to you guys and us to you <laughs> he's the one who told us about you oh that's awesome he's a yep. he, he's such a nice guy and and yeah. i'd heard of the band heard of you guys but once he started telling me about it and, and talking about you guys, I'm like, all right, I, I, now I got I have to check you guys out. So, and I'm really glad I did because I'm I'm just blown away by the music. It's it's uh, it's kind of hard to describe. It's like kind of like to me, it, it sounds kind of like if King Crimson had a danceable beat. <laughs> I like that. I'll take it. So, <laughs> but bef before yeah. we get too much into the band and, and the sound and music and how the hell you guys managed to pull off any of this stuff live, I want to find out a little bit more about how you got into music in the first place. Uh, and uh, Tim, we could start with you. How did how did you get into music in the first place? Were you, I mean, were you playing as a kid? Was there were, has it always been drums for you? Yeah, I mean, I. I played as a kid but like my brother was really musical and i kind of messed around with him and i ended up having friends that, and started playing music so there was but i never really had a bunch of musicians around me as a kid and i was kind of more into playing hockey and stuff when i was like growing up so it wasn't until i got into college where i started kind of taking it seriously and um then it, then it was like kind of all about it so when did you start playing in bands and, and playing live and was it always a mix of acoustic and electric or yeah, I've been doing uh, the acoustic electric thing since like mid '90s. Because oh, wow. I, I I was kind of over guitar rock in the mid '90s, and I'm like, I just kind of want to play hip hop stuff. And okay. uh, so I had I just needed an 808 and like a clap sound, so I had like a little thing that you could get a trigger. And uh, yeah, and did that in Pittsburgh for a while. Oh, okay, Pittsburgh. All right. So Christian, what about you? Was was uh, 
music something that you, you took to early on? Yeah, I was kind of obsessed with music from a young age. I would hear music everywhere. I've, I've mentioned this before in other podcasts or whatever, but I would hear music in the one, the one that I remember is I would hear the theme song to land of the lost in our dishwasher. <laughs> <laughs> and I would, uh, but I would never tell anybody about that. Cause I, I was, I, I knew it was weird. And you know, when you're a kid, you kind of just want to be like everyone else. Yeah. Um, so that I started, weird. it is weird for sure. Um, <laughs> And I still have that. Like I, I still hear music everywhere. But now, you know, I'm gonna have to. Cool. I'm gonna have to listen to my dishwasher tonight. Now you're gonna. I'm gonna be sitting there with my ear to the dishwasher door, and I'm like, all right, land. I bet you'll get something. You'll my, get something out of it. My scanner used to play like a really cool beat when you would scan something. You would do it like twice and go. <laughs> <laughs> I've got. I gotta sample that. I probably sampled it, and never used it, but I. Uh, I always was like, that's the coolest thing ever. Yeah, oh, it's everywhere. That's... Like the blinkers in your car are a good one. Um, mm-hmm. But the the. Uh, but well, so anyway, I was uh, kind of obsessed with music. So my parents said it would be cool if I joined the school band. So I played clarinet for a couple years, and I really liked that. But I wasn't hearing like, the music we were playing at the school band wasn't the music I was music I was listening to at home, which was, well, now it would be called classic rock. And then there was, there was two rock radio stations where I grew up in the Bay area in okay. uh, Northern California. One was the classic rock station and the other was what we would now call like, I guess, new wave or modern rock or whatever. And uh, so I'd go back and forth between those two and I started getting really obsessed with that music and I just couldn't play that music on clarinet. So eventually <laughs> I, I talked my dad into renting me a, a bass because he's like, I bought you this clarinet. And you, you don't play it anymore. Why would I buy you another instrument? Like, oh, please, please. <laughs> and that was it. I'm God, still upset. Because I don't hear the clarinet on this radio station, Dad. Yeah. There's not a whole lot of he clarinet solos. Yeah. Actually, it would have been cool if I could have figured out a way to do rock on clarinet. That, that would have been really kind of amazing. There but, is but, still uh, time. There is. Someone does. I don't want to relearn how to play clarinet. I mean, come on, you got a whole pandemic. You can work <laughs> it out. Work it out with. True. I mean, this shit ain't ending anytime soon. No, we're not going to be touring for a while. Oh, that sucks. That sucks because I'm dying to see you guys live. I want to see how this stuff works live. But uh, you'll be disappointed, I'm sure. <laughs> so, how did the two of you meet? So, you guys are on different coasts and and. Different types of bands, different music. I come out to California by then, like. Okay. Yeah, I came out in '97, and in like 2002 or 2001, something like that. Okay. So when we met, yeah. Yeah. So how post, did you guys meet? Post 9/11, I know 9/11 had already happened, but other than that, I, I can't remember exactly. No, that's that's pretty good marker. Um, <laughs> I had a friend in high school who was a musician who was just really kind of a. An acquaintance, his name was uh, Kevin Nye. Hey, Kevin, if you're listening. Um, and I was is. walking into a uh, a cafe in L.A., and he was walking out. We just ran into each other, and we started catching up, and he said he had started a band that had two drummers. It turned out it was Tim on electronic drums and another friend of ours on ac- acoustic drums, and they were looking for a bass player. 
Okay. Oh, ooh, that sounds cool. I want to try that. So I came out and started playing with them, and that that band never got off the ground. But w- when I decided I wanted to start L Ten Eleven, I wanted Tim because he was a, an electronic drum player, which I thought sounded amazing, and no one else was doing that. Plus, he just he made me laugh a lot, so I called him up. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I mean, even if even if he's not the best, if he makes you laugh, it makes it more fun anyway. <laughs> yeah. You can always you can always be the best later. You got to have that chemistry first. Yeah. So how did you guys uh, decide on the the name L1011? Well, I'm a pilot and I'm nerdy about aviation and, and L1011 is an old um, airliner that was yeah, kind okay. of ahead of its time and it failed commercially due to political stuff, not the plane itself. And I thought, well, symbolically, that's kind of probably going to be perfect. And it turned out I was right. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Plus it just kind of sounded cool. We, I think if I remember right, we, we had a short list of names that we kind of liked and then we decided it was time to go play our first gig. So we just, we had to pick one. Man, so. I hear that so many times. We yeah, we had like three or four. Somebody says we got to have something to put on the posters. What is it? And, yeah, uh, I don't know. It's this one. I'm just so glad we don't hate it. Like, yeah, it's, it's true. That yeah, good, good percentage of that, that would be like this is a horrible name. We need to like if we were <laughs> we started the band in the frat house at the keg house at the uh, you know. I'm, <laughs> Probably wouldn't be into the name anymore. It would have. It would have been like the name of. Mature adult. Yeah, it would have been like the name of the only band I was ever in, which was a Super Karate Monkey Death Car. Oh, I like that name. And that's the every. <laughs> it was terrible back in '95 or so. Whenever that. That hell. reminds me of that book, um, High Fidelity, where he says that. Well, when they made it into a movie, it was the Jack Black characters. Yeah. He, the name of the band, I think, was Sonic Death Monkey. Oh yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> I think what you're. Was right. your, what was your band name? Super Karate Monkey Death Car. So S K what? S K M D C. M C. S K M C. Yeah, yeah. S K M D C. I mean, you can't be a serious band with that name. Oh no, no. But that's a well, great name. I I played guitar and I never took lessons really, so I didn't know what the hell I was doing. We had, and then my. My other, there was only three of us. My other two friends who played, they kind of switched back and forth on drums and bass. And <laughs> the drummer, yeah, so you know they were good. So the uh, the drum set didn't have any cymbals. So we were doing the, you know, we were Peter Gabrieling it at that point. Yeah. So, but we didn't know at the time, but but uh, yeah, it was terrible. Although we had a blast. We drank a lot. We recorded some awful, awful stuff, but it was a lot of fun. So. Well. That's all that matters. Yeah. So and so okay. So I didn't know you were a pilot. That's awesome. My grandfather was a pilot. He uh, was a pilot during the during World War II and flew until his like mid eighties. Wow. So good he, for him. Yeah. He had a Cessna three ten forever. Oh, nice. Those are uh, kind of hard to fly, as I understand. Well, yeah. He he's he flew B twenty or not, yeah B twenty sixes during the war. So, all right. He was a uh, he was badass dude. Was yeah, he was the most natural pilot I've ever seen. Ah, uh, that's amazing. He let me fly once. <laughs> I was like tw- 10 or 12 years old. We're going down to Florida from New Jersey. And he's like, hey, come on up here. He, he, my dad knew how to fly too. He kicked my dad out of the co-pilot seat and said, all right, hop in. Like, nice. All right. He's like, just don't do anything. <laughs> so Straight just, level, kid. Exactly, exactly. So, so, all right. So you guys, you get together. Was there a, an idea for the sound that you wanted ahead of time or were you just, were you, 
working things out? I mean, did is the band's sound, was it fully formed early on, or was that a lot of experimentation? sound like and i thought we would need a third musician i was thinking maybe a keyboard player because i was just so tired of guitar but tim mentioned a looping pedal or asked me if i'd ever heard of a looping pedal and i don't think i had but i i did have a friend i found out who had one and i borrowed it and we had it i think it was our first band practice that i brought that and it was just the bass drums and a looping pedal and we both got really excited to have it be just the two of us right then because we're like oh my god how amazing would it be if it was just the two of us and this i mean this was like looping pedals are kind of all over the place with like acoustic dudes and all that kind of stuff so it's not as okay yeah crazy as it was so like when i saw the first person use the looping pedal it was john bryan i'm like how's he doing i didn't i just he would sit down play the drums there would be a microphone over it that would keep going he'd sit over at the piano play something on the piano and sing something that would get in the mix he'd go to somewhere else and uh it turned out it was like pedals but i don't know that was like he was the only person i've seen use him up to that point and so yeah so our minds were kind of blown like oh my god <laughs> we can, this is great well i would imagine that, that especially at that point on they're kind of expensive too i don't remember them because uh, i think the first one i got was that line six i think it's the dl4 the green one yeah i don't, I don't think it was that bad they they were poorly made though i must have gone through about four of them before i gave up and went on to something else because they would just break like the uh, the buttons would just fall into the, the pedal <laughs> <laughs> mid-show and they're like okay well we don't have a looper now so oh. we don't have a show. <laughs> suddenly becomes yeah. acoustic l1011 yeah so but it was way more of a novelty back then in fact i kind of worried that people would only want to come see us because they wanted to watch the watch the guys juggling not because right. the music was good but thankfully a lot of people come to shows these days and if they find us afterwards and talk to us they say oh my god i had no idea it was just two guys which is cool because that means yeah. they just they like the music so yeah exactly your first album came out in in 2004 Five. So how long had did, four, were you, yeah. four? Okay. So how long were you guys working on? How long were you, how long between the time you got together and the time that album came out? I think it was two years. I think we got together right about okay. now, like August of 2002. That's my memory. I could be wrong. Does that sound about right to you, Tim? I think. Yeah, I don't sound. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> A couple years. I have video. Like at the time I didn't have anything to record with. Like, I didn't have a four track or whatever. So I, I just had a little camcorder. So I put a camcorder in the corner of the room the first time we got together. And it's like, um, my drums are kind of in the shot, like maybe half of my head. Sometimes Christian steps in and out of the shot. It really wasn't to try to get us on video. It was just so I could hear. 
because then I could put um, digitize like that into my computer or whatever I had. Maybe I didn't even have that at the time. I think I, had, I don't, I don't remember. Maybe I was burning CDs. Who knows? I think I burned CDs. Yeah, actually. Going and then every band practice, I would give him a CD from the last band practice. Yeah. Oh, cool. I still have some of those. I'll get it into my computer, burn a CD. Uh, wow. Yeah. So that. So, but, I, but, I, so I could find out when that was anyway. Good. That is awesome. That's yeah. kind of, that's the kind of stuff that me as as a music and I, I love hearing that stuff. How uh, you know, I'm gonna save in here. Hold on. All right. Super. That's the first day. <laughs> but all right. So I'll keep going on with that thought while while Tim goes on his his uh, scavenger hunt as a as just as a music fan when i find a band that i like i love hearing the progression of the music from when you guys start to the actual finished album finished because i know a lot of the time it's not finished once even after it's on the album but yeah that's the kind of stuff that really fascinates me hearing how it progresses august 2002 doesn't say it just says august 2002 on my cd (laughs) Okay, so I was right. <laughs> Man, I'm, I'm years ago. I'm pulling that you could just pull that out. You knew where it was. That was awesome. There was a time like his. I borrowed a because um, I have a bunch of little cassettes like from like the what is it mini DV I guess. And um, so my friend had a deck, so I had a I have like a little box of stuff that I was trying to get off of that and onto something, and that was in that box. So I just knew it was in there. That is awesome. They're always that handy. It's usually in a box in a closet. With another yeah. boss. So, but that one just happened to be handy. So after that album came out, you guys ended up working on a, a movie soundtrack to the movie Helvetica. Mm-hmm. How did that come about? Because that's a pretty interesting transition from you know just working on on your own stuff to just you guys to doing a movie, an entire movie soundtrack. Well, that was a, a San Diego connection that really started it all. So the, the guy who made that movie is named Gary Hust, Hustwit. And um, he's a San Diego. He was a San Diego guy, and I was too. And actually, I am again now. Uh, but he and I knew each other. We weren't close friends or anything, but we were acquaintances. And so he knew L1011. He, he loved it. And he just hit me up. He said, your music is really kind of perfect for this soundtrack i'm working on i said oh what what's the movie he said well it's a movie about a font (laughs) okay that sounds horrible like the most boring movie ever made and it, i was wrong it's actually really fascinating i don't have you seen it i have not yeah i recommend it um i have seen it around but I've, it, it's again I, i'm looking at it's, it's it's a movie about a font is i know oh, it, you know what's really interesting about it is how pervasive it is in our society and you just don't realize it and he explains why and he shows all these examples it's unbelievable how much Helvetica there is in this world. And it's, it's every time it's used, it's a choice. And he goes into why people are choosing it and stuff. Anyway, it, that was really nice because we, um, got a lot of notice, you know, from people yeah. early on 
from that. So it was great. And we ended up doing a couple more movies for him. So it's been awesome. His last movie he made, he, uh, he used Brian Eno. So oh, I'm like, well, if someone's going to knock us off, it can be Brian Eno. That's <laughs> Still. Mm, Eno. Yeah, I mean, fuck that guy. <laughs> what, what's I mean, he, what's oh, he yeah, done lately? Him. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if this was like 1978, I'd be like, yeah, awesome. But Whoa, I guess Brian Eno's not going to be on this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> you guys do a lot of touring. We did. We do. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Correction. <laughs> you guys have done a lot of touring, but the music is so complex. I saw your. I guess. I guess it's a pedal board. It's. It's. There's so much on it, but the two of you both play through it, right? Yeah. How, how does that work? And I can't imagine two complete instruments separate. Two separate things going through the same pedal board and <laughs> making it work because. I'm not that smart. I don't go through his effects. I just go through his looper. Okay, that that makes a little more sense to me. <laughs> and a little bit of some other trickery to, to kind of get it so it's not chaotic and where it's looping a bunch of times and all this stuff. So we had to figure it out. Yeah, I mean, it's oh, just good. a problem to solve. Tim, you play both acoustic and electric drums live. Do you have a problem? And And... and I keep saying, I'm, I keep starting my question and interrupting myself. <laughs> Sometimes, or a lot of times, you play acoustic and electric in the same song. Mm-hmm. Is that a problem playing when you, when you play it live? Is the sound is different enough that it, it creates any kind of difficulty uh, to recreate? Like if we're in like a normal size place, everything, everything kind of, what I usually do live, especially, is I'll have um, like a, bass cabinet behind me that just has electric drums in it that way if there's anybody that's like kind of in the front that can hear my real drums because like i don't want them to like there's there's mic'd up drums and you hear that but then you also hear cymbals and real drums that are coming from a specific spot on stage or whatever if you're close enough yeah then electronic drums are coming from up here but i'm trying to play them at the same time so it's just stupid so 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 I ended up putting like a bass cabinet behind me. So everything's kind of coming from the same spot at the same volume ish. Okay. And, um, otherwise it's up to whoever's doing sound. Like usually we've, we've been lucky. We've had some really good sound guys that we always get crazy good compliments on. And I trust and stuff. So, but I don't know. I just kind of, I've been doing it so long. It's, it's normal. Yeah. It's a second nature at this point. I mean, like you said, 18 years. Yeah. I've, I've yeah. Had yeah. electronics in some way, shape or form. All right, so Christian, you're all, you're into some really weird tunings for your bass. How did you start getting into experimenting with weird tunings? Uh, that was Michael Manring's fault. Um, ah, that dude's awesome. Oh, you know him? Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, for those who don't, he's a solo bass player guy who uses really weird tunings. I mean, he he'll use really light strings so he can really do strange tunings. But I remember reading about him. This is ooh, quite a while ago. I mean gosh, maybe late 80s, he put out his first record and I read about it and this was back when there was no internet to check out music. So I just went and bought his, I think I bought the CD without having heard any of it. I just went for it. And there was a song on there called Long Hair Mobile or Mobile Mobile or something like that. Anyway, it's a bass solo and it's beautiful. But I could hear that some of the strings, you, I could tell it was a, an open string ringing, but it wasn't E, A, D, or G. 
Okay. Like one of them, I grabbed my bass. I'm like, that's whatever it was, you know, it's B flat. Or I thought, what? Oh, the kind of light bulb went off in my head. Cause I, I had messed with my E string, the lowest string. I tuned it down to D, which, you know, a lot of people do. That was all I had ever done. I'm like, wait a second. I could mess with the other strings too. And <laughs> that was it. So I started messing around and, but I was playing in bands that were a little more, normal <laughs> for lack of a better term. uh so i'd go back and forth between standard tuning and my weird tunings and eventually i settled on a weird tuning that is my standard tuning really oh cool uh, and that's what i use in l1011 mostly although there's lots of l1011 songs where there's even weirder tunings which is a pain live because i've got to stop and tune or i've got to have a, a another bass that's already ready to go in that weird tuning or whatever Okay. But I just love the way it sounds. It just to me, some of the strings. If if you put an A string, you just tune it down to G. It just sounds better. It's, I don't know why. It's just the the tone of it is really cool. Okay, I, I've always been attracted to that. So that it's just for me, it's natural to use weird tunings, and it makes it really hard for people to cover our songs. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> well, look, geez, the everything you guys do makes it hard for people yeah, to cover yeah. your songs. That's true. You guys are incredibly complex and. For to be the two of you, just it, it's it blows me away. Was the band always meant to be uh, an instrumental band with you know no vocals, or is that just you kind of got tired of of looking for somebody? Now I always thought it was going to be instrumental from the beginning because neither Tim or I can sing. And, <laughs> <laughs> plus, I thought instrumental would be cool, and we never never tried to find a singer or anything. We just okay. went for it instrumental. And oddly enough, late, later on, we started messing around with singers. Like we put out a record just a couple, couple years ago, a few years ago, called Unusable Love that has a singer. I was going to ask you about that one. Yeah. And so we just started messing around. Like we've got all, all kinds of, we must, I don't know how many singers we've worked with, a dozen. And none, it, it's really challenging because no one seems to ever want to finish anything. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> we, we love collaborating with people. It's just we're always waiting on them and they rarely finish things or, you know, sometimes they do finish things and then we, it's not up to our standards or stylistically it's not quite right. So it doesn't end up getting released, you know, Okay. but unusable love made it out. Yay. We actually released one. So how did you guys decide to uh, release an EP with vocals? What was the reason for that? Well, we wanted to, to start collaborating with people, not, not even necessarily singers. Like it could have been, other instrumentalists or even artists or filmmakers, whatever. Okay. We just wanted to start opening up because L1011 has always been a very closed off, small world. It was just, it's just Tim and me. We, that's how we wanted it. We wanted it to just be the two of us for years. And then finally, we just got to a comfortable point where we thought maybe we should let some other people in, not permanently in the band or anything, yeah. but just, just to see what happens, just record some music and see how it goes. And Emil, um, he's the singer we worked with. He was the one with whom it worked out, and we we actually finished it and finished the record. And he's played with us live a couple times. You know, he jumps oh, cool. on stage, and plays us, plays some songs and stuff. So it was a really great experience with him. Well, it's a beautiful EP. I I've, I've, I was listening to it today, and it's just it it's gorgeous. Thanks. Did he just do the vocals, or did he contribute musically too? Because he's in a, another band called The Dig. Right. Yeah. He played some guitar on it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but he's he knows what he's doing, and he yeah. 
he definitely it was a collaboration for sure yeah he was uh he was really good about it like he he like we met i think tim and i were on tour or maybe we flew in for a festival or something we were in new york and that's where he lived at the time and he came out and uh or we went to his rehearsal studio whatever it was we we met and we just monkeyed around for a while just to get a vibe on each other we really dug each other we dug hanging out too and then so then we thought okay well how do we do this we're on opposite coasts and he said why don't you just send me any ideas that you already have and let's see what happens and so i did and he picked four ideas that he really liked he said i think i could just sing on these these ones that you already have Let's just go that start there. So we did. And then we just arranged them with him. And that was, I think that's the four songs that are on the record. You know, we just decided to focus and finish those four and it worked. It's a cool EP. Figure the way you write in anything. You those songs were already in some sort of form before you gave them to him. Yeah, so the the ideas were already there, and then he contributed by saying, "Well, what if we took that thing you're playing there out in, in that section, but bring it back there? And what if I add some acoustic guitar here?" Yeah. Well, you know, we started collaborating, and then he flew out to L.A. and we went into a recording studio to record his vocals. So we did that all together so we could be there to comment on his um, performances and stuff, which we didn't really even need to because he would just he just killed it That's right out of the gate. Like first and second takes are all wow. you're hearing. On the re- yeah, he's just, just nailing it. And he, and it was all in like little shit. Yeah, it's crazy. We're working with this guy named Tom Biller who has a freaking Grammy Award. <laughs> and he's like, we could just record it in the shed behind my house. We're like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Hey. So there's literally a Grammy Award on the shelf with the the, the name on it. It says like Kanye West and Tom Biller, and it, it that had fallen off, and it's all dusty. And we're in, it was this. <laughs> actual gold record player. That was on the Grammy. I think it's like a record player head broken off. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, wow, that is something I love about this. <laughs> a lot. Hey, you know, I mean, it was perfect. Oh, my God. You know, it means more on the paycheck than on the little award, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You can always say Grammy Award. Yeah. But I love that he was, you know, he's a guy who could make more money than he was making with us. He's like, no, let's do it. We'll just do it in my shed. I'm like, right on. We, we did, like, drums in there. He was literally, like, at, like at the console right here. And he'd be like, all right, let me just move this mic right here. And he'd just, like, move it up. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is insane. <laughs> so, I don't know. It was, it was fun, though. That's, yeah, it was fun. That is awesome. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Have you guys uh, ever written a song that you haven't been able to pull off live or you, you don't even want to attempt live? Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> I'm amazed at what you I, I have seen some live clips And I'm amazed at what you guys Managed to, to do live So 
Well, the the first two or three records, maybe even the first four or five records, actually maybe even the first five or six, <laughs> I don't remember what it was, but I was kind of obsessed with the records being exactly how we did it live. You know, we, we, we didn't have to record it live. Like we could do overdubs and all that stuff. But yeah. but I wanted what we did on the record to be what we did live, which they were. So whatever, like if you listen to a song on the first record, if you see us do it live, it'll be pretty much the same. I mean, there might be a couple little things here and there that yeah. are different. But later, you know, I can't remember exactly where, but, you know, somewhere around maybe transitions or something, we started thinking, well, maybe we could have some songs where we just don't worry about how we're going to do it live. Let's just let's just record them, just make a good sounding song. And if we if we end up having to do it live, we'll just figure it out. It'll, we can do a version that's kind of different. Yeah. And so we've we've done more of those with each record. And then each time we have to tour, it becomes more of a pain because we're like, <laughs> oh, God, how are we going to do it? But it turns out, I mean, I don't know, Tim, what would you say? Like about like Bankers Hill, for example, our, our last record before tautology like half the songs are pretty much how we do it live and the other half are maybe oh god how would we do this live something like that i don't know well, i mean sometimes things go a little bit longer to get all the parts in there yeah but that's still kind of the same the essence i mean they're pretty close they are because, close because you guys yeah, don't do samples live no nothing's pre-recorded so right. That's a rule for us. So we have to do it all live. So, so that's what see, you mean the, by the things may take longer to... We go to a new, like the, an, another part of a song. And on the record, let's say there's there's two basses going. There's a high bass and a low bass. Yeah. Well, live, I, I have to either either I play the, the low bass for one round. Then, then I'm able to, to do the high bass. Or maybe, you know, we'll change it up a little. And Tim will actually play... Sorry, that's my dog. That's all right. Tim will play the... <laughs> the bass line on his electronic drums with, you know, like 808 kind of sounds. Okay. And I'll do the high thing and we'll kind of cheat it that way, but it's still us doing it live. Yeah. But it's just, it just sounds a little different, but uh, actually sometimes we think that the live ends up sounding better than the record, yeah. but it's too late. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, I'm amazed by some, the instruments that you guys are using. Um, because I see Tim flying around on, on electric and acoustic drums, and I see you on a, like a double neck carving or your, your Peter Hook bass, and it's just, and you guys are just hopping around all over. The, oh, there we go. Man. <laughs> the black one just came came today so oh that's the one but jack anyway. was asking about yeah so i'm sorry people who are listening to this won't be able to see it but um too bad yeah, <laughs> yeah. sucks to be them get your own podcast private for you it's a base <laughs> whoop de doo no, it's a six-string base you you and not the jazz yeah, the, it's a it's a bass six, not a six string. Sorry, the, it, it technically it is a six string bass, but the difference for those who care is that it's the the regular four strings of a standard bass with two higher strings instead of one lower and one higher. So, okay, it it is different. It extends the range of a bass higher instead of lower and higher. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. So, uh, and the reason I was, I was kind of asking about if there's a song that you guys haven't that you, you don't want to attempt live is because I was listening today at, to Battles Avenue, and I love that song. Have you guys ever done that one live? Because that's just I can't imagine how you would actually even approach that.
Bees. Yeah, it's actually Abies. Um, oh, okay. It, it's, it's, it's birds. Yeah, totally understandable that, that you would. Everyone gets that wrong. That's actually I don't think we ever. I think we rehearsed that one. Like maybe we were gonna try it, but that's one of the ones that's in a really weird tuning, so I'd have to stop and tune. And then there's um, a couple times when, like I was describing, three things come in at once. Yeah. Where so we'd have to figure out an arrangement where well I do the the one thing then I do the next thing and then I do the other or whatever. So I don't think we ever did that one live. No, not to my recollection. Yeah. When you're writing, do you guys? I mean, I'm assuming since it's the two of you, it's it's pretty collaborative. Like it's not where one one of you guys is coming in with an entire song ready to go, and you just have to teach pretty. the other guy. I kind of do. Actually. Really? Yeah. He'll, he'll send me like a, his his like rough in his laptop version. And since we don't live in the same city, I live in L.A. and he's in San Diego. Right. So I'll just go work on it on my own and send him something back. And then it'll just kind of go like that until we get together, until we have like a bunch of those, like a handful of those enough to like have him drive up here and get into a room and try to see if we can actually do it to, you know, see if, see if it feels good, see if it sounds good, see if it is worth working on still okay yeah and then um and then we just keep doing that <laughs> yeah <laughs> we do it like, on tautology we did it a lot i i definitely pushed tim to his limits because i think we got i don't know we had 25 songs or something and we whittled it down to 22 or something it was, it was ridiculous it's way too much it was stupid <laughs> that's why it's coming out as a, as a triptych right as a... <laughs> yeah yeah i definitely um my my plan was to only do EPs from here on out because I wanted to make shorter statements more often. Okay. And then we, we were coming up with all these ideas that were very related. And I'm like, okay, well, it'll be three EPs that are related. And they kind of grew into three records. I'm like, oh, my God, I wanted to do EPs and I'm doing a triple freaking record? This is absurd. <laughs> How pretentious can you be? Like, everybody was like, yeah, yeah, this is good. <laughs> Even though we're all like, this is so bad. This is so dumb. But, yeah. <laughs> it's the most grandiose statement possible. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's absurd. <laughs> but here we are. Well, when you when you're writing, do you have the uh, songs in your head, or do you get a, a, a new pedal or something and hear hear a sound, and that's what triggers it? Is is there a way things normally happen, or is it just uh, a mixed bag? Both, both actually. Like, in fact, on this record, there was a pedal that definitely is it's on the record way too much but um that yeah a new pedal can totally send us off into a different direction for sure that's that's the nature of what we do because we're you know it's yeah. just bass and drums so we got to come up with lots of different ways to do bass and drums and effects are really really good for that oh yeah and after 18 years you know it's you want to make sure you're not repeating yourself so yep exactly Although people, I think, would like us to repeat ourselves and like us to do the first record again, but <laughs> <laughs> we just won't. No, man, you shouldn't. You shouldn't realize it. We'll just run out of things to do, and we just come back to the to the beginning. Yeah, yeah. It'll be a, it'll be a whole big circle, <laughs> like Candyland. Like, you yeah. just go around in a circle in Candyland. Maybe I have that wrong. It works. That sounds about right. I think that'll work. So you guys like a Tarantino movie, maybe? Well, yeah. that's. That's where you start at the end and work your way backwards, I think. Yeah, that's true. Or you just throw it all out of order. Yeah. <laughs> so now we should record our second record, right? Even they, though we've already recorded 10 or 13 or however many it is. <laughs> exactly. All right. So record number two will be out 
2021. Yep. <laughs> I was listening to, as trying to listen to as much of your stuff as possible to prepare for this. And you guys kind of threw me for a loop with the song, You Are Enough. Because I'm listening to it, and I've, it's got this, the, the, uh, these like electronic drums, very, very beautiful, tasteful drums, and then this loopy bass thing that's going. And I'm expecting like an R&B thing suddenly. Like I'm expecting like, I don't know, Boys to Men or Kobe <laughs> of DeVoe to come in and be like, oh, girl. Wow. You know, and it, but then all of a sudden, like this huge distorted bass comes in and, you know, my dreams of an R&B L1011 album were totally dispatched, so... But that it is corrupt. I'm sort of used to it, so I don't ever think of it as. But it's it is kind of funny if you're expecting something different that just comes in like, wow. Yeah, <laughs> it is. I mean, there's this loopy, cool bass, and and the drums are, are minimal at the beginning and electronic, and it's it sounds like like uh, almost like R and B. So it was impact. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm I'm expecting like like a Barry White voice to come in for your first vocal performance. I don't know it where the hell version of a bass sound though it's all well i guess not not really mellow <laughs> manly it's, uh, it's oh man i you know and i can't even describe the bass it's just this really cool loopy bass so all right you guys also one of the really cool things is that you have the most interesting names for tracks like <laughs> i like van halen because my sister said it was cool or should, yeah how do you guys come, how do you name an instrumental track what i imagine it's a lot easier to name a track if you have vocals there's various methods you what, what did you call when, he put my last name into some yeah. program <laughs> up your name oh, some name generator <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. and that's one of the songs maybe i won't say it but someone can figure it out which song <laughs> i'll give him a clue it's on the third record parts and the first two have already come out uh as of this recording so by the time this comes out the third one should be out um, it what is tautology is that an actual word is it an actual thing it is it, it means saying the same thing over and over oh so I, that's <laughs> i should just call my podcast <laughs> there you go 
Yeah, so we're we're definitely making fun of ourselves here. When Tim and I were recording Bankers Hill, which is our last record, yeah, there was a so during the recording, a photographer came up to take our photos, and but we were not recording in the same room together. Um, I usually like to be in the control room when I record, and Tim is out in the drum area, so to speak. Okay, so he needed some photos of us playing together, so I just brought my bass up into the drum area, which was this living room in this big house, and we were just kind of jamming, not playing L1011 music, just messing around. And we started playing this heavy rock stuff that was, at the time, I, I, my memory is that it kind of sounded like Queens of the Stone Age or something. And we both really liked it. It was really fun to do. And it, and we both agreed, we need to do a rock record. Like, we can even, it could not be L1011. It could be a side project that's a different name or something like that. Okay. We're like, oh yeah, we're doing this for sure. So I started writing all this rock stuff that was kind of heavy. But at the same time, I was also writing more typical L1011 stuff, too, trying to sort through it all and figure out where it's all going to go and what it's all going to be. And part of me is like, we should just do a, a metal L1011 record. Screw it. Like, surprise everybody. Uh, and But then and um, my grandmother-in-law died shortly uh, before I was writing all this stuff. And I wrote a couple of songs that just felt so much like they were about her. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay. So the next L ten eleven record, I think it's going to be about her. But then, but then I would be working on this really heavy stuff. I'm like, that does does not sound like her. That's, <laughs> this, so, what is this? What is this record? And then I, I, the concept kind of came because I started writing stuff that was kind of in between the two. Okay. I'm like, oh, okay. This okay. The the heavy stuff kind of represents the teenage years. The middle stuff. The kind of typical L ten eleven stuff feels like middle age, and then the real mellow, somber, poignant stuff sounds like old age, or you know maybe even when you die. So I'm like, okay, I think I think I got it. I think I know what this these three records are. So that's how it all came about. Did that give you enough time to look at your notes? It did. It, my <laughs> my computer now. I've, I'm a team I mean, player. I mean, <laughs> and I appreciate that. That'll get you brownie points for whatever that's worth. I record on a really old laptop. I got a nice brand new one for the editing, but I've got an old one for the recording, and it just it it freaks out on me every once in a while. Mm. I, I'm, I'm imagining you guys have had some pretty weird freakouts live with some of your electronics because you guys work with so much yeah and I'll, I'll tell you a quick story because this 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 always makes me laugh whenever i hear people using loopers and all kinds of stuff oh wow tim yeah. just paused us oh i think he fell down the stairs there we go okay there we go. I, I set an alarm yesterday to flip something on the grill oh, and i must have set it all day or something do, do, <laughs> do, do we need to go so you can flip your meat <laughs> All right, so one of the first people I had on the show was Trey Gunn, and he was talking oh, about this. Yeah, he was talking about this solo show he did. I know, no, he's, he's doing a, a trio, and I, I can't remember the uh, the other two guys that were playing with him, but he has this one section where he plays a song, I believe it was Arrakis, off one of his solo albums. So he goes and 
same thing that you guys do. You know, he, he'll play something and loop it and, and just build the song over time. And so something will loop, he'll, he'll let it play and then he'll add something to it. And he's got his monitors in his ears. So he's hearing everything build and build and build. And he stops playing the song. It's done. And he looks out in the audience and everybody's just kind of staring at him with his, their mouths <laughs> open. I know where this is going. <laughs> his monitors were working just fine, but the house wasn't working. So he yeah. was just sitting there and all of a sudden everyone, like at once every between 10 to 30 seconds, he would just come in with this weird line of notes and just, and then just sit still again. And people were just like, what the <laughs> fuck is he doing? Oh, it's art, man. But he, he actually, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to get him to send it to me because he said it was recorded. And he hasn't sent it to oh, me yet. I'd love to see that. Do you guys? Yeah. You have had Playing any weird, stick acoustically? Yeah. <laughs> you guys have any uh, really weird horror stories like that? Oh, how many? Uh, yeah, I mean, so many. Which one do we pick? One that I can think of. Is there like the one that was just like, oh, that was the? How about the one where um, uh, we were opening for Peter Hook up in uh, like Montreal or something, and it was kind of a not very encouraging audience to begin with and then your electronic drums just stopped working and weren't coming through my pedals and we had to basically we had to stop and fix it because we when we were touring with him we didn't have our crew with us it was just the two of us so there was nobody to come out and help us so this audience that was just staring at us with folded arms waiting for <laughs> peter hook and then oh stuff stopped working I'm, oh you're kidding me with uh <laughs> um, the perfect crowd for that to happen to yeah but uh but, yeah there's definitely been meltdowns canada always sucks like that <laughs> it does like canada's just not good for us actually vancouver's all right but uh really yeah i don't know man about the country the country's fine it just always ends up being yeah we got our gear ripped can off there canada's yeah, yeah. trouble oh okay so that's something that i wanted to ask you about christian you've you've got this particular base so you've, you've got to be the luckiest musician that I know because you've had yeah. this one sp special bass stolen twice. Yep. But you've managed to recover it both times? Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. How the hell? <laughs> That's yeah, my double neck got stolen too, and I got that back, which is insane. You've got to be the, um, the luckiest musician ever. I am. I feel like I've used up all my luck. So the, It also helps having unique instruments because I can uh, remember yeah. double neck on eBay on tour – like it popped up on eBay. We were like, yeah. I think we, it was post show or something. And it was like, it doesn't have a pick guard. It's definitely mine. And I'm like, yeah, cause some pawn shop in East LA isn't going to be able to sell a double neck bass and guitar for <laughs> any kind of real price unless they put it on eBay. Yeah. yeah exactly. Oh my gosh. Makes complete sense. They got greedy. And then he found it. That was yeah. that one. Yeah. You've yeah. gotten three bases back. One bass twice. And that one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Wow. I hear so many horror stories about that. Yeah, I had this special guitar and it got stolen. I haven't, I've never seen it. That's. Yeah, it's. I can't believe how lucky I am. And they're just, they're never out of my sight anymore. I mean, even, you know, it's. I get nervous when we're on tour and we're, let's say it's, you know, lunchtime. So we're, we pull up to a restaurant and all the gears in our, we, we have a, a Ford Transit van. It's kind of a big, like a sprinter van kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. So our gear is in, in the back and you can't really see the windows are blacked out. You can't see in there. And we figure, well, we're just going in for lunch. You know, there's an alarm. 
we're we'll be gone a half hour yeah but i'm still every once in a while i just kind of get up and i'll just walk out there and just look just make sure it's cool i don't blame you at this point and then every night every night all the guitars come into the hotel rooms with us which is a bummer like at two or three in the morning we just want to get inside and go to bed but you got to get a big luggage rack got to load because my guitars are in these really big flight cases for when we fly places. Oh boy! And they're really heavy, and all, all you know, all five of them, or however many I have with me, all of them come up Jeez. into the room. Yeah, it's a drag. But what am I going to do? I'm not. I'm not leaving those guitars in a van that could get broken into again. No way! Not anymore, man. Holy yeah. God! So speaking of live, you guys don't do encores. <laughs> nope. Why? Why the decision not to do encores? Ever. Well, I remember, okay, so when I was a kid and I, well, a teenager and I would go to shows, you know, a big show, like the, an arena show or whatever, and the band would say, thank you, good night, and they'd walk off and they hadn't played a couple of their best songs and the lights didn't come back on. So we're all just sitting there. We're like, dude, we know you're coming back. Well, this is just, this is fake. It's an ego. And it's true. It is fake. Like they're, they've been contracted to play for 90 minutes. They walk off stage at 75 and they do whatever. And then, they come back and play the hit song. And I just thought, I remember at being a teenager thinking if I'm ever in that position, I'm not going to do that because all that time that they were off stage, they could have played another song. And as a fan, like I would have liked to have heard another song instead of you guys doing whatever you're doing off stage. And so when Tim and I started, like when we were just playing bars and just getting, getting going, if people went nuts, and we're like, please, please, we'd look at each other and be like, okay, well, what do we do? It was real. It was a real encore. Yeah. But now we're big enough where we're playing venues where we would walk off, actually off a stage into a dressing room. We're not out at the bar with everybody or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so they'd have, you know, it's just, if we walk off and then come back on, it's that fake thing. Like we have a contract that says we're supposed to play for 90 minutes or whatever. And I'm just thinking about the 17-year-old the me, like, dude, not going to walk off. I'll just play. We'll just play another song. We'll just finish the whole thing. That's awesome. And not waste everybody's time because it's fake. It's always fake. The first, we don't want to be fake. First, like artist or group that's like, no, we're just going to build it into the set. Like they're going to cheer for it anyway. Was it like, like Albert or something? Like, yep, it's built into the set. We're going to do it. You know, like I wonder who the first person is. Like, now we're just going to and, and lead and like they're screaming, they're screaming, they're screaming. No, we're going to have to give them another one. So let's just preemptively. Not play that song, them scream. Yeah, I'm like we did it. We got, we brought it back on to play. They were gonna like he's not not he's gonna go and not play Jailhouse Rock. Yeah, Jailhouse. yeah exactly. we did it. The audience, we, we did it. We did it. I remember talking to friends of mine in high school who actually thought they did it. Like oh. I remember my my girlfriend in high school. We went to see The Cure, and I, I split up from her. She was uh, with another friend girlfriend and i split off from them because i wanted to go up to the front and when we met up afterwards she's like oh my god we screamed so loud we totally got them to come back out <laughs> i was just snickering i'm like you did not it's fake she's like what are you talking about it's not fake and we kind of argued about it because i couldn't prove it i couldn't prove it was true I'm like right no they they if right. it was silent out there they still would have come back out yeah. and played. she's like no i don't think so i don't think so <laughs> yeah okay. I was watching an old interview of you guys and you had a really positive experience with Spotify. And I wanted to find out, you said you, you liked the, the format of, of uh, releasing albums. And I just kind of wanted to see 
a little bit about how you, if you guys are still positive about Spotify and how you, how you like crowdsourcing. I know there's been a bunch of uh, problems with some crowdsourcing sites like Pledge Music. You know, they kind of oh, screwed a whole yeah. bunch of people. So I'm just kind of yeah. curious about how you guys think, what, what you think about the new way music is going with all the streaming services and the crowdfunding. Because you've, you've done both. Well, thank God we never used Pledge Music. Yeah. I think we used Kickstarter a long time ago. Maybe there was yeah. another one. Indiegogo or something. Indiegogo, maybe. yeah. Yeah, something like that. I think maybe what you're referring to is Pandora. Because Pandora when it first came out, like before Spotify existed, they were, they were really good to us. Like okay. there was a while there where we were getting played a lot on a lot of the stations, I guess they're called. Right. Uh, we were just hearing from people a lot at our shows that that's how they discovered us. So we were kind of grateful to Pandora. And then I think Spotify is fantastic. I think anyone who complains about it, uh, any artist who complains about it is probably complaining for one of two reasons. One, they're just not big enough to really make any money from it and they think they should be making money or two they have a record deal and the money is not getting to them because the record company is getting the money okay. but in our case we we own almost all of our catalog there's only two i think right now i think it's just bankers hill and tautology for which we have record deals but we get everything and it's i think spotify is great like we make make money from it i mean we don't make a lot of money from it but we make right. decent money from it uh so i'm i don't know i'm thumbs up on it what, I, how do you feel tim you feel the same way i mean it's the way of the world like it, it would be nicer if people act, actually had to go out and buy your music but but not really I mean, it'd be nice because that's just the way it was and you know you could make a living just you didn't have to tour to make music necessarily or license something it was that was a, another part of the whole um, pie or whatever, yeah. but it's not that way. It hasn't been that way for a while. So it's, I think it's cool. I mean, I personally, as a, someone that listens to music, I, I, I love it okay. to, yeah. to be a bit Spotify or something and just look up whatever I wanted to look up and like not have to pay 99 cents for it. I mean, I get it. Like I wish it was different somehow, but it's not, and it won't be. And so as much as I haven't maybe gotten paid for music, like I've not paid for music because of spotify so it all works out right but you're also <laughs> getting you're also getting exposure at least too so that's the thing like we made more money selling records i would buy i would probably be spending that money on music anyway so yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's yeah. whatever it's fine i everyone wins but the thing is like i was i was playing music and you know had record deals back when there was no internet you know when you had to have a record deal and stuff yeah. like that and I never made a freaking penny. I mean, there was nothing. And then, or I mean, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but pretty much nothing. And then Spotify, I mean, I don't know that L1011, if if we were in that day and age where you had to have a record deal, I don't think we would ever get signed. Like who would sign us? And because of Spotify, we can release music ourselves yeah. and go just do it ourselves. I mean, everybody can. So of course there's too much stuff released and it's hard to find the good stuff, but Somebody said, I forget who, and I agreed with it. It said, well, if you're great, your audience will find you. Just keep, just keep doing it. So, okay. you know, that I don't know. I, I think we're living in the golden age personally because anybody can release. Like if you're a kid in a small town in Nebraska and you have a great idea, you can release it. You don't yeah. have to get discovered by some A&R guy in L.A. 
I mean, that's horrible. I and mean, how much great music has never been recorded because that's a great point wasn't discovered. So I think it's great. I mean, it, of course, there's just there's so much out there. And how do you get through it? And how do you yeah. find the good stuff? That's the problem with it. But yeah, that's true. I don't know. I think it's pretty awesome. That And, and I love Bandcamp also. So sure. Because I actually like getting the physical copies of things. I like having the the big artwork, the, you know, the, the either, even if it's a CD or an LP, doesn't matter. I, I like having physical artwork, liner notes that I can look through. I mean, that's how I found some of my favorite bands is looking through who the CD, the, the, the artists that I bought, who they thank, you know, thanks uh, for letting us play with you, whoever. Like, <laughs> that's fine. I got to check these guys out. Okay, so... So that's that's how I found half the bands I, I love. Of course, nobody else knows them. So, but that's that's all right. So, do you guys do you guys have to modify your instruments at all? Going back to you guys playing live and are your uh, instruments? I mean, they're not like are they stock? You can just just replace them if if something goes wrong. Or do you have uh, modifications to to the electronic drums? Or I know you you guys have some it's, interesting bass things going on too. So yeah, it's hard for us to. Um... Like it's easier touring than it is to drop in and do festivals and stuff because there's so much stuff that we use that we kind of have to have and we can't do it. Like a lot of people can just roll up with a laptop and rent backline and bring a guitar and they can do that anywhere. Yeah. And we have to bring, you know, a bunch of Christian's bases, then the two pedal boards because you can't rent that stuff. Places. My stuff is, is different and like I'm not using stock sound, so everything is like, I have it a little bit tighter now. Now I have it on a USB drive. There's some things I could rent on electronic wise and be cool, but I mean, I use Roto Tom, which you can't really <laughs> get like a, a drum set made of Roto Toms, like uh, for that fly in gig, you know, somewhere. <laughs> but, uh, so we kind of screwed ourselves in, in a way, like trying to be, um, do our own thing and be, uh, you know, like do something a little bit different. But, yeah. but um, yeah, so all our stuff is all weird. All right. It, that up is weird. Like it's it's crazy. It's like one cable could shut the show down. It's crazy. Wow. Like, and so we always have to. And I'm a pretty laid back dude, but I've I've lost some sleep over things like that. Being concerned about you know like if it's a big show, like uh, we had a fly in, we had so much gear. I don't have a sampler backup. The sampler goes like there's you know you can't fly with backups of everything that you roll in on, on like a fly in or something like that. On a tour, you usually have a backup of everything, but. Man, there's just like you get off the plane, you go to the hotel, you crack the case up, plug it in, be like, Oof. all right, <laughs> works, <laughs> still works. All right, so I've kept you guys for an, for a little over an hour. I've, I'm, I'll wrap it up for you. I know what you guys have other things you guys want to do other than talk to me all night. So, the artwork for tautology is that is there a, a connection to the 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 title or the, the music a lot of your albums have geometric shapes and on this one's a little more abstract oh yeah there's there's definitely a connection and it, it you'll see the connection better when all three are out like the first two while we're, when we're recording this podcast the first two are, are only out but when all three are out you'll see how they connect okay and there's definitely um symbolism like when you open it up it looks like of course it kind of looks like a propeller but it's it's sort of a Venn diagram. It's kind of hard to explain unless okay. you're looking at it. But it's it definitely symbolism about the stuff I described earlier about okay. the you know teenage to middle age to to late uh, you know late in life kind of stuff. None of our artwork is ever just 
random and just because we thought it was cool looking. It always has a meaning. We always use the same guy. Oh. The same guy has done every single record. Oh, wow. And there's always symbolism in there and stuff. And, you know, most people won't necessarily know what it means or whatever, but that's fine. It, it, it looks good, too, just hopefully by itself, even if you don't know what it means. But oh, yeah, <laughs> there's always meanings in there. They're really interesting. So, all right, so Christian, the last question I have is for you. Because I heard that you uh, injured your back a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And you read a book about healing it. And I kind of wanted, I've seen that book for sure. I, my, my back has uh, been a mess for years too. And I just kind of want to know your experience because I know the book that you read. And I, and I haven't read it, but I've always been tempted to, to pick it up and, and, and explore it. How, how is your back now? Has, has it helped and this may not end up in the podcast, so this may just end up being for me. <laughs> well, well, maybe it'll be helpful for other people who have back problems. So I have a combination of scoliosis, uh, degenerative disc disease in my mid and lower back, and playing bass for... Uh, I'm getting close to 40 years. I'm 30-something wow. years. And, you know, heavy bass amps, loading them into cars and buses and uh, vans and not doing it properly and not taking care of my back when I was younger, never stretching, never doing yoga, none none of that stuff. Right. And then my back, we were on tour a while ago. This might have been a, no, it was when we were on that, uh, that Cody tour, Tim, that I think that was the first Uh, time I I threw out my back. I, I, it was unbelievable. The pain. I mean, I could barely walk. I, I was crawling on the hotel room floor at night with tears coming out of my eyes. Unbelievable. Um, so at, finally, at that point, I started trying to do something about it. And the first things that helped were um, acupuncture and a chiropractor. Right. Um, and it would, and the, it helped a lot. And then the pain would come and go. And then we were on tour one time. My, my back was aching pretty badly. And I read this book that essentially said, and this sounds totally ridiculous, that back pain is simply because of anger and anxiety. And if you let those things go, your back hurt, won't hurt anymore. And I thought, okay, that's really stupid. But as I was reading this book, my pain, back, my back pain literally went away. I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. My French, but it's, it's, it's in my, you're saying it's in my head. Okay. It's, I know it's not in my head. Cause I actually have seen the x-rays where I, you know, the disc disease and the scoliosis and stuff, but right. my, the back pain did actually go away. So I was wow. like, okay. So I started meditating. I started taking CBD and really I, I took the CBD for my back and my anxiety went away. Cause I've had a mild anxiety my whole life, like since I was a kid okay. and that really went away. And so to fast forward to kind of today, I'm still, I'm just really proactive. Like I still go to acupuncture. I go to physical therapy. I take CBD. I do a lot of exercising, yoga and the stretching and stuff. And then, um, chiropractor and, uh, you know, and Advil. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, all those things have made it. So it's pretty, it's pretty good. It's pretty manageable. Like normally when we're playing shows, I'm good. Every once in a while, Tim will come into the dressing room and I'm laying on the floor on my back and he's like, Whoa, what's going on, dude? I'm like, it's tightening up, man. And I just, I just try to relax, try not get, cause part of it really is the getting stressed out. Like we have a show coming up and I really, cause I've had my back go out on me on stage. Oof. Like I really, really had to kind of crawl off stage and, yeah. and go finish the show in a oh. chair. Oh, so, wow. I, and I think part of it is keeping that at bay is just to not get stressed out about it because that's you, you tense up, right? Yeah. 
and the back, a lot of the back problems are muscles spasming because they're trying to protect the spine, apparently. Yeah. So anyway, th- there's a long question to your short question. I mean, to your, yeah, long answer to your short question is those are all the things I'm doing now. That book did seem to kind of help, and I, I think it's probably BS, but my back stopped when I read it. I don't know. Hey. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's different. You know, whatever works for me might not work for you, but right. Because you know, someone might have a disc that's literally out of place and slipped, and it doesn't matter how much meditation you do. If it's out of place, it's out of place. Yeah, exactly. But, um, or if you have a cracked vertebra, or if you have a scoliosis like I do, it, you know, it, everybody's different. But those are the things I did. Okay. And do. Guys, I will let you go. Thank you so much for joining me. This has been a blast. I've I've really enjoyed trying to catch up with the the music. I'm st- I've still got a few things to listen to, and and all. And I'm anxious for the new part three of tautology to come out. So yeah. thank you so much for spending part of your evening with me, man. I really do appreciate having, it. Having us. Oh, yeah, my pleasure. You. It was fun. Uh, I can't turn uh, you off. I can't either. <laughs> He's trying. Uh, oh, here uh, we go. All right. I found it. I'll, I'll talk to you later, man. That's it, man. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.